Friends, I am here. Yes, I am. Uh, there we go. See, here's my face. Here's the mug right here. And uh, running around just doing a few little details here this morning. Uh, thinking about, oh, I should take care of this or, oh, I should take care of this. A few things uh, here in the morning and uh, making sure that People in my house are toasty and warm and all. We have much to get into today. The life of Jesus uh, on this Tuesday of Holy Week was an exceptionally busy day for him um, in terms of what he was doing. Uh, and we're going to jump right in. We're, we're in the book of Mark. And I mean, you could also look at Matthew chapter 21. Um, 
Matthew chapter 22. We'll probably look at a few different passages. Uh, if you recall, yesterday on the Monday was a day he had cursed the fig tree uh, and also the day that he had gone in and uh, turned over the tables uh, at the temple, uh, the money changers that were there. Um, and so now we see on Tuesday, uh, picking up what happened here, Mark chapter 11, verse 20 says, The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it withered from its roots up. Now, the significant thing is saying from its roots up. It wasn't like it had baked in the sun from the top down. Uh, the, the, the withering came from the very roots of the tree. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, harsh, dry sun uh, can bake and, and, and wither plants. Sometimes you can see that. So the fact that it stated that it's withered from the roots up uh, indicates, once again, Jesus' power over nature. Peter, uh, being rather astute, says, uh, Look, Rabbi, verse 21, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, Be, be you lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Now, this particular few verses are very challenging to us because oftentimes we think, well, we do pray. We do ask God to do things, and yet sometimes we feel like the answer doesn't come. Um, sometimes maybe it is, in fact, the fact that we uh, uh, that we we do have doubt in our heart. Sometimes that is the factor uh, that uh, that has that impact upon us. Uh, and I, I think it's true. I, I know there are times in my own heart I doubt. And, um, you know, I have one particular, and it's not a huge, huge, huge deal. Uh, I'll share with you an answer to prayer. Uh, but a, a huge deal, something I'm praying about now, something that's lost, would like, to, like it to be found uh, and delivered safely back into uh, my possession or into Joseph's possession in South Sudan. Uh, either way, and uh, preferably here, uh, you know, and so I look at a verse like this, it's like, well, I need to be asking God. I need to be looking to God and and asking that God would, in fact, uh, meet, meet the need and uh, uh, fix the situation and take care of it and just to believe him. Now, Reasons sometimes that God doesn't answer our prayers uh, in those ways uh, have to do with uh, lack of faith. Yes, that can be a factor. It can be a factor. The, the, the Bible right here says it can be a factor. So a lack of faith can be a factor. Uh, but uh, so can uh, a waywardness of heart be a factor. Uh, there, there can be many factors why God chooses to say no to answering different of our prayers. So um, this passage teaching us these things, this passage telling us in verse 23, you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe you received it, it will be yours. Uh, I'll give you an example of uh, one of those things was in... Uh, in my time in 
uh, South Sudan, and some of you are aware of this, you were praying for this, and, and God came through on this. I got into South Sudan and, and I realized that, you know, credit cards, they don't take any of those. And uh, a lot of the American money I had was not money that they were willing to accept either. And it's like, I have expenses. We have things that we've committed to do, training events, food to feed several people, uh, you know, for three different days and, and buying waters and things that they don't have the money to do. And we prayed and trusted God and uh, we did a wire transfer. I'm so thankful for the work of uh, uh, Wendy Joe was was one, and but uh, also uh, Susan Finley helped and uh, Terry Tower and Amy Philbrick uh, at uh, at Camden National all were a part of uh, on the human side making things happen. But what they say is, you know, from the time you make the transfer, it's three to five business days. And it's like, Lord, I need to see this in like two days at the, at the top. Uh, and within 24 hours, the transfer was complete. We had access to the cash that we needed. Uh, the trainings and the meetings all went off without a hitch at all. And that was a way God answered prayer. And we were praying. We're just trusting, saying, God, I mean, there's nothing else we could do. And I, I mean, I felt humanly hopeless, helpless in South Sudan about that situation. And those on this end did everything they could do it was really up to God to make things happen. Um, so verse 24, I tell you, you can pray for anything. If you believe you received it, it'll be yours. What do you need to be praying about? What do I need to be praying about? And uh, so I, I will tell you what what there is. Uh, I have a lost suitcase that has not returned to me. Uh, in fact, um, uh, it, it's either in South Sudan somewhere or it's in Egypt. Uh, I don't know where it is. Uh, and would you pray with me that the Lord would just bring that back? It has backpack. It's got shoes. It's got shirts. It's got things I need for Israel. I mean, none of it's, I, I can replace all of it, but I, I figure there's about $750 worth of uh, things in that suitcase. And, People lose suitcases all the time. It should be like no big deal that, that the suitcase is lost. Um, but I'd like to get it back. And so I look at a passage like this. It says, pray. Well, okay, we'll pray. So, Lord, I, I come with my brothers and sisters and just ask that I would get some notification today. Um, that suitcase is, I mean, it was tagged. It was marked. It was everything. Uh, they've got all my information, so Lord, it's my prayer uh, with my brothers and sisters that you would return that suitcase. Uh, I ask that in Jesus' name. There's one other thing that is talked about in this passage that can get in the way of answered prayer. Uh, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And sometimes that is easier to say than to do. Sometimes there is the buildup of things in life that uh, it just has that impact that uh, it, it's hard to be able to forgive some people sometimes. And but uh, uh, failure to forgive can stand in the way. And uh, so 
if that's an area, ask the Lord to help you in your heart to be able to forgive. Now, I want to get into this. Uh, I don't want to linger long on this topic. I want to continue on down into Matthew chapter 11. It says, again, they entered Jerusalem. Remember that you were staying at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus over in Bethany across the top of the Mount of Olives uh, over in Bethany. So they've come back to Jerusalem this next day. They've noted that the the the, the uh, <clears throat> fig tree is withered. And it says, as Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders came up to him. And they demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do them? And Jesus said, I'll tell you about authority. I do these things if you answer one question. He said, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves, and he said, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human, for they were afraid of what the people do, because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, again, it's a busy day in the life of Jesus. Uh, it, it's a busy day. Uh, much is going to happen here. And he's spending all day in Jerusalem sparring with the religious leaders. He's teaching parables. He's healing the sick. Uh, he taught the parables of the Great Supper. Uh, the parable of the good and wicked servants, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the two sons, uh, the parable of the uh, owner of the vineyard, the wedding banquet, the ten talents, uh, all these various different uh, parables he taught. He also, in the midst of this, will declare the greatest commandment, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and that's something that we need to constantly be encouraging each other with. We're constantly encouraging each other with loving God, uh, to to spur each other to love God and to spur each other to love our neighbors. And then in the pronouncement of these woes upon the Pharisees. And we've looked at these woes before. Um kind of paraphrasing some out of Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 39. Woe to you, he said, you don't practice what you preach. You tie heavy loads upon other people's shoulders, but you're unwilling to lift a finger to move it yourself. You travel over land and sea to make one a proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. You hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How can you escape being condemned to hell? So, I mean, we read the parables, uh, uh, I mean, the woes in Matthew chapter uh, 23, but then also uh, we read of um, the widow and her might. Let me take us over to Luke chapter 21. And these are all things that the different writers are writing to, um, from their perspectives, the things that they're remembering about uh <clears throat> what Jesus had to say. Uh, and so we, we we bring all these things together. It says this, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts 
uh, in the collection box. Uh, then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. He said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything. You know, I, 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 I think of a few widows in our church that I know. Uh, they're faithful in, in what they give. Um, and I know they don't have a lot. And, and I have to think that Jesus is smiling at them. Uh, because in their uh, in their little, they're giving significantly, and you know you can't look at the size of the gift necessarily. You look at the heart of the giver uh, as well. You look also at you know you know their living circumstance, and and sometimes you you know that they're, they're they've given, and uh, uh, it is quite something to know. Uh, some some widows and the sacrifices that they make uh, in in the life of the church, um, it's quite phenomenal. And I'm not trying to speak disparagingly of anybody's gift. Any gift given to God from pure heart is an act of worship. Uh, is a gift that the Lord treasures. But Jesus does draw this distinction between those who had. Uh, lots of surplus and gave a little out of the surplus versus this woman who gave really uh, all she had. So we we read about that. Uh, and then we read about the the Pharisees trying to trap him. They are uh, trying to trap him with the economic issue about Roman taxes. Jesus says this, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So he astounded the Jewish leaders with his wisdom, uh, so much so that they stopped trying to entrap him uh, in uh, in their words, in their questions, in their queries that they had for him. During this time, the, the disciples once again, uh, Jesus once again predicted to his disciples his coming death and resurrection. The disciples had no idea what he was talking about. As Jesus sat in the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem, he wept as he contemplated the coming destruction of the city. Now, that destruction would not come for, well, 35 to 40 years. Just depends on how the dating goes. 80, 70, we know the destruction of the city would come. And so he's, he's contemplating, he's crying over the hearts of the people in Jerusalem, uh, all this taking place. So he... All this on the day, uh, on the Tuesday uh, of Holy Week, what we now call Holy Week, the, the week prior to his crucifixion. Uh, and we know that Jesus would spend the rest of the evening teaching the eschatological, what we what's known as the Olivet Discourse, uh, which entailed the signs and wonders that surrounded his second coming. Uh, the only place in Scripture where Jesus himself shared his understanding of the end times. It's the only place that is mentioned. Let me take you to Luke 21 down to verse uh, 25. And uh, in fact, I'll pick it up at verse 20 where Jesus foretells the the destruction, it says, and when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know the time of its destruction has arrived. 
Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those uh, out in the country should not return to the city, for those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for the pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days, for there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. And there was Roman anger, AD 70, uh, that, that turned against because the, the Jews were blamed for the catastrophe that took place in Jerusalem. So there was anger against the people, still anger against the people of God in Jerusalem, still anger Lingering even to this day. In fact, I was looking at the map uh, on my uh, plane flight and uh, on Qatar Airways, which I took from Nairobi to Qatar, from Qatar to Boston. And you look at the map and it lists all the different countries on the map. But where Israel is, it doesn't say Israel. It says uh, Palestinian region. Uh, and it has lots of cities, but none of the cities of Israel are listed on that map. It's just very interesting. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably Muslim-owned. Uh, in fact, one of the things that they have on the screen, those little screens that they put on the the headrest of the person in front of you where you can choose to watch movies or watch the map and the plane flight or read books or whatnot. But the book of the, the, the Holy book of Quran is there and um, they will not acknowledge Israel uh, to this day. There is that type of animosity uh, between some of the neighboring countries, especially those that are Islamic to this day. So, uh, talking about how uh, how terrible it will be. Uh, verse 24 said, They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world, and Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. I mean, really, uh, the Israelites, uh, e- even, even though they had moved back to the land, uh, that was still occupied by the Romans. They still really didn't possess their own country until 1948. Uh, They were not recognized, uh, at least uh, geographically, as a nation. Uh, 1948, we know that that changed, and and since that time, there have been many things that have happened. But just uh, Walter even commenting here, he saw that uh, when he flew to Jordan on Jordanian Airlines. Many of those. Egypt Air, probably the same way. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, the the Emirates uh, United, the the Emirates Airlines. I haven't flown with them yet. I don't know. Uh, And I think Turkish Airlines was the same way. Just very, very interesting. Now, you get down into verse 25, and uh, the teaching about the coming of the Son of Man. And he says, uh, there will be strange signs in the moon, uh, in the sun, the moon, the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when these when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. It's interesting. Strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. We talk about global warming 
talk about here on earth, the nations be turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. I mean, some of the things that we we uh, categorically dismiss, uh, saying it's oh, a total hoax and a false narrative of global warming. In fact, global warming may fit the narrative that we read right here in these verses. Just another view, another thought uh, about what we're reading in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28, because it talks about um, the seas, talks, talks about the strange tides. Moons affect that, the movements of planets and stars uh, affect that, and lots of things that have an impact I'm not saying I buy into all that is said about global warming and all those things, but the scriptures do indicate changes to atmospheric conditions. They do indicate changes in in uh, planetary uh, and uh, spatial situations. It does talk about the sun. It does talk about the moon. It does talk about the stars. Now, some would say, well, this won't come until after the tribulation, well, frankly, there are varying views even of that uh, among good Christians. There are some Christians that believe, look, they, they view the millennial kingdom as already having taken place and that the next big event is the return return of Christ. We'll go through the tribulation, return of Christ, that's the end. No thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, there is no rapture of the church that we must persevere through those days. That is actually, there are a lot of believers who hold that view um, those of Baptistic persuasion perhaps do not hold that view, uh, tend to hold to a more what's called a dispensational view. Uh, but there's the covenantal view, and uh, good, solid Bible-believing Christians on both, si- uh, uh, are on both sides of the aisle about these things. But Jesus talks about them, and he says this down in verse 29. He gave the illustration, note the fig tree. Or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know, without being told, summer is near. And yes, 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 we are ready for spring. We are ready for summer. It says, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. To tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene till all these things uh, have taken place. Now, their word for generation and our word for generation may not mean exactly the same thing. In fact, we know it doesn't mean the same thing because it's been generations. This age, perhaps, what, what we would call the church age, dispensational terminology there, the church age will not pass until all these things have taken place. And then it says, he says in verse 33, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So what do we do? He gives this warning, watch yourselves. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day that week, then Jesus went to the uh, temple to teach each evening, returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives uh, or over the Mount of Olives, and the crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. He is really taking, um, really taken over the temple area for his teaching for these few days, and this will heighten the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, which will 
uh, end up causing them uh, to seize him uh, and to uh, ultimately lead to his crucifixion. Much that you can read here uh, in Luke, in Matthew 24, uh, uh, the, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 22, 23, 24, 25, all of that uh, a part of the teaching of this day and, and perhaps the next day as Jesus continues teaching. For us, what do we take out of this? For us, we take out of this, don't let our hearts be dulled. What do we take out of this? We take out of this, watch out. We What do we take out of this? We take out that maybe we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss the global climatic uh, changes that, that could could be taking place uh, on our earth. I mean, we, we buy into uh, either a very liberal view or a very conservative view, but what does the Bible say about these things? And we need to perhaps have some consideration that, that maybe some of what we read about uh, in the Scriptures uh, we might actually be experiencing here on the earth. The days are coming. Be ready. Be watching out. Love God. Love others. Be prayerful. Walk with Jesus. Uh, pray that, that people turn to faith in Christ. Uh, and, and bring your prayers to him, whatever they might be. Lord, you know the prayers of the hearts of each one who is engaged with me either this morning or on a later broadcast, and it's my prayer that you will hear our prayers, prayers for the lost, prayers about sickness, prayers about heartbreaking situations going on in life, um, prayers about things as tertiary as suitcases. Um, But, Lord, we bring you our prayers. Help us to please you today in the way that you'd be pleased to answer our prayers. Lord, in our lives, be glorified this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, good being with you today. Have a great day, everyone.